0: Thanks for listening to the ODI podcast, covering inspiring stories of data use and impacts around the world. I'm Anna Scott, and this is one in a series of podcasts about standards as part of our research and development program. So, Sarah, Rono, thank you so much for joining us. If you could just introduce yourself quickly and tell us a little bit about the organization you work with.
1: Thank you for having me. My name is Sarah Njambi Rono. I am Kenyan and my family is currently based in Tallinn, Estonia. My background is in computer science and I came into the open data space as a web developer. And I am now a developer advocate at Open Knowledge International, which is an organization that is focused on realizing the value of open data to society. And we do this by helping civil society groups access and use open data to aid their work on social problems. Sarah, what would you say the benefits are of adopting standards? I would say that adoption um, of frictionless data specifications by key data platforms and integration into commonly used data tools has Resulted in an active use of users. So there's always been interest, but this has grown over time. And there's now integration into MetaTab for spreadsheets, for example, and Laravel datasets and Data Curator, which is built by ODI Queensland. And there's lots more examples on the frictionlessdata.io website. So all of these people that adopt the specifications, um, they come back to us with questions and feedback. And this provides us with varied and much needed context that has helped us to iterate on the specifications over the years to what we have now. And in September of 2017, we released version one of our specifications, which was a major milestone for us but also our community of users has evolved into contributors and advocates of our work in their various domains, and most notably in government and also in the open science space. This has also resulted in notable contributions. A good example is work that I was very proud to be associated with. In May 2017, we put out a call for um, a grant scheme that we'd set up called the Frictionless Data Tool Fund. And we asked our community to apply to extend our existing libraries in additional languages. And we received about 91 responses from the community. And out of those, we were able to pick six grantees who have since delivered really important work. And we now have libraries in PHP and Java and Go and R and Clojure and Julia, all of them programming languages. And so it means that our base of users, our community of users is growing because of the work of that our existing community has put in. And lastly, I'd say that our approach is on tools. We focus on tools that help people solve real problems with data and the specifications that we write help us to achieve that. So in the last few months, we have been writing the fictionless data field guide which explains the focus of our work more clearly and handholds the community that doesn't yet know about the tools and is interested or a community that doesn't know how to use all of the tools that we have together. It handholds them through the process of using these tools and I would highly recommend it.
0: Okay, brilliant. And could you tell us a bit about what kind of support developers need in order to help them adopt a standard?
1: So the problem currently is that getting insight from data is not always a straightforward process. So data is often hard to find. It is archived in difficult to use formats. It's often poorly structured and sometimes incomplete. So these issues create what we call friction because they make it difficult to use and publish and share data. So the Frictionless Data Project is a set of simple specifications to address common data description and data transport issues. So the aim of the Frictionless Data Project is to reduce friction in working with data and you want to do this by making it as easy as possible to transport data among different tools and platforms for further analysis. So at the heart of the frictionless data project, we have the data package, which is a simple format for packaging data collections together with associated schema and descriptive metadata for these data collections. And our emphasis is on specifications and not standards. What I mean by this is that frictionless data is a couple of steps removed from trying to create a data standard. Our aim is not to enforce one way of structuring data or writing schema. The specifications we have written are designed specifically to be easy to build on and adapt for use in existing tools and platforms. So this data package format has become increasingly popular in the last few years. We can point to several data publishers that publish their data as data packages. For example, data.world and data.gov.uk and there's also a few specialist publishers such as Harvest Choice and the Food Standards Agency. So as one adopter of the specifications that we write stated, what's really great about these specifications is that they are lightweight and can be a starting point for building domain-specific content standards.
0: Mm. Yeah. So th- so they're a kind of step on the way to a standard
1: in a, in a way. Exactly, yes.
0: And what would be in these kinds of packages?
1: So it's usually data. So you have data on a specific subject so multiple data sets that are related and then you want to describe them so that whoever comes by them understands the context um, for your data so these associated metadata there's a schema that also outlines the structure of your data.
0: Okay and would more than one organization put data into one of these packages?
1: Yes, so that's a good thing. So it will start with one organization, right? So they have this data. What they will do is they will add a schema to it and add metadata to it. And then the minute they share it with another organization, that organization can also add data on top of it and edit out the metadata to include additional information. And if there's been additional structural changes, they can also include them in there and also now it will still be a data package, and then they will then share it, and that will continue. Okay.
0: And at what point would one of these data packages turn into a standard? What would need to happen for that to happen?
1: So whoever adopts the specifications that we have outlined, they will then look at what specific needs there are in the domain that they are focused in, and they will decide to build on these specifications in any way that makes sense to them um, so as to make any data that's packaged in data packages to be more specific to the domains and the context that they're working in. So that will be the work of the people that develop these standards.
0: And so if somebody thought that they could put data into a package,
1: for example, what kind of advice would you
0: give them to, to start off with?
1: To focus on simplicity, I will say, because When you are building a standard, you have to make sure that it's as simple and easy to use because you're basically standardizing work across many domains, right? So... You need to balance between simplicity and ease of usage so that all concepts can be understood by the different people that want to use it. In an ideal world, everything would follow one specific standard, right? We will describe, say, the semantics of the data, what a person's name is, what location they're in, the currencies they use, the relationships that exist between, say, data for a city and a state, things like that. So um, the problem is that this increases the complexity of using the standard that, that is built, which reduces its usage, right? So back to frictionless data, one of our main design goals is simplicity. And so we describe the minimum of what's needed to understand a data set, like who the authors are or the description of the data set itself or what license is tagged against it. So when there's a need to standardize other concepts, you can extend the standards, adding the specifics of your data. So, for example, this is how we have done like in the fiscal data package specification which adds semantics on things like budgets and categories of public expenditure and other semantics that are specific to this use case. It's the same thing as with CSVs, even though there are a lot of issues in working with CSVs and there are other spreadsheet formats that are technically much better than CSVs, it is still one of the most used formats, right? So we believe That's because CSVs are very simple. The focus on simplicity, and that's also what we strive to um, achieve with frictionless data. So I would advise someone to avoid uh, complexity, be very simple, be also very flexible because the standards that you write have to fit into people's contexts rather than forcing them to start afresh in adopting whatever standard it is. That you build, it's better to be flexible enough to fit into their contexts. Because basically, people spend a lot of time, sometimes even years, trying to streamline their data workflows. So, being very flexible to fit into their contexts is very important.
0: Sarah, Bruno, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you also. Thanks for listening to the ODI podcast, covering inspiring stories of data use and impacts around the world. This is one in a series of podcasts about standards as part of our research and development programme.